So I started to say, in this kind of shifting this morning, I, I had the joy of being in the teen class. I was going to say teaching the teen class. I think I was just sort of in the teen class. Uh, we had a, interesting discussions, though. We, we brought up some subjects. This kind of naturally came up in our conversation. And we were talking about um, some pretty heavy subjects. We were talking about assisted suicide and different things like that and um, what the Bible has to say. And, and we touched on evolution and these sort of things. And, and by the way, the Bible Institute class that's starting up November the 2nd, and it'll be every Tuesday night through the winter months, as we do, we usually wrap it up around March. But our first set of lessons is going to be basically uh, some lessons on a Christian worldview. And when we look at all these situations and circumstances that are going on in the world, the society uh, issues that we hear about all the time, uh, we want to find out uh, how to think biblically about those things. And that's kind of our study. But as I began to say, one of the problems with the theory of evolution, and I kind of am sad by the fact that they no longer refer to it as a theory, because it is simply a theory, and it's, it's, an, it's an unproven theory, and to be quite clear, it's, it's a wrong theory. But now they don't state it as a theory, they state it as a fact. But we did not evolve, God created us. I think all of us understand that, but one of the problems with evolution, that theory is that um, the universe has built into it, creation is built on structure, order, and really some very precise laws that keep everything uh, in order. You know, that, that the reason why uh, the world and everything is sustained is because of the design, the, the uh, structure, the, the way God ordered things and sustains things and keeps things. And God did that and He's still doing all of that. He sustains us. So, when you look at the world, you, you recognize or look at the universe, there's, there's a lot of very precise and very uh, important things that we take for granted. How many of you heard this week uh, the, I guess he's still an actor, a retired actor, William Shatner, uh, went up into space? Did anybody see that? Uh, I didn't pay much attention to it, but I heard that he was going into space, and nowadays rich people are doing that. They're just shooting themselves off in rockets and, and uh, taking time in space and coming back. And, but I heard a little bit of a clip from his uh, interview when he returned. And interestingly, Captain Kirk, he said, um, he said basically uh, it was phenomenal. He said it was, it was an extraordinary experience. And he said what really kind of struck him is when he got up into space and you kind of get a little more of a sense of how vast the universe is. He said this, and it's not a direct quote, but he said something like, uh, when I, you know, he said the, the air that we are breathing is such a very thin little, just a strand of atmosphere that's so minute when you compare it to all of this universe. And it's true, you know, when you look at the world, we are just, you know, a, a tiny speck in space. And we uh, have this oxygen atmosphere, you know, this, and really they, you know, I know they're always probing space, looking for life, um, but God created the earth for man to inhabit, for us to have life. We know that. And it's, it's quite a unique place. There's no other place like it in the, in the universe. And it's, it's built on, you know, all of these 
natural, we call them natural laws, you know, gravity and all of these things. But God designed that. And we recognize that. And the reason why they can even shoot people up into the atmosphere, beyond the atmosphere, into the space, and bring them back down and without killing them, you know, the reason why they've been able to land things on the moon or go to you know, other planets and circle around Mars and take a look at it, um, the reason they can do that is because of the precision of the universe. You know, the physics that are involved and all of that. And, it, it, you know, my finite mind, is it, all that thing is way beyond what I could come up with. It's, it's incredible that man, even God created us with such intelligence, with such, uh, you know, ability to, to do the math and figure all that stuff out. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible, really. But all of that is because those laws exist because that, that design is there. Now, the reason why even it's not really related other than to say that just like there are physical laws of nature that God has created, there are also moral and spiritual laws. And in that realm, a lot of times, you know, mankind... We, we, uh, you know, we want to say, even though I hear today they're, they're trying to debate this, that you know, 2 plus 2 is 4, and uh, those things are true. That's, that's a truth. There's some absolute things when it comes to math and those type of physics and stuff. But when it gets in the realm of morals and things like that, well, men like to be flexible. You know, well, it's kind of relative. What is right for you might not be right for me and that sort of thing. But actually, God has also created and designed in the world moral absolutes, spiritual laws. One of those laws we read about here, the law of sowing and reaping. It's a principle that he says, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You reap what you sow. And that's a, that's a law that we... Uh, I think we recognize if we think about it, and, and mankind, you know, can recognize it somewhat, and they've come up with other terms for, you know, what comes around goes around, you know, this sort of thing, karma or whatever they want to call it. But God says, "What you reap, or excuse me, what you sow, you will reap." And it's that principle that I want you to think about. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to give you three words just to kind of hopefully stick these thoughts in your mind, and those three words are. A principle, first of all, principle, then planting, and then the product. And that's what I want to consider with you for our, our time this morning. <clears throat> so first of all, there's this principle that we need to understand, that a man reaps what he sows. And for the children, or I think we all recognize what the word sow. It doesn't mean you get a needle and thread and start you know, sowing something. It means to plant a seed. It's what you sow in the ground. That's the, ter that's the terms we used to use. We don't use that word much anymore but for that purpose. But sowing is planting. And it's a principle that's written large across the pages of the Scripture. Let me give you just a few verses uh, in reference to this. In Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23, he says, But if you will not do so, after he'd given him many commands, he says, But if you will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. In Job chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, Even as I have seen that they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. They that plow iniquity and sow wickedness will reap 
the same. In Proverbs 1 and 31 he says, Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way, and will be filled with their own devices. In Proverbs 6 and verse 27 it says, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? All of these kind of stating the same principle. That your life is not as much a product of your uh, environment so much as it is more of a product of your choices. More of a product of your deeds. What you do. What you sow. In Hosea, in chapter 8 and verse 7, he says, For they have sown the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. Now this principle of sowing and reaping has both a negative and a positive. On the negative, obviously if we sow the wrong seed or we're sowing in the wrong field, as we'll we'll talk about in a moment, uh, we will have negative consequences. But the opposite is true. It's kind of like compounding interest. You know, it can work against you or it can work for you. Um, If you are sowing good seed, sowing in the right things, you reap that benefit as well. And on the positive side, Proverbs 11, verse 18 says, this is first the negative, the, the wicked worketh a deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. There's reward, there's blessing. You know, the Bible says righteousness exalteth a nation. Uh, Hosea says in chapter 10, verse 12, sow to yourselves in righteousness and reap in mercy. And so there's a, there is a positive. We can sow in the right way. We can benefit from that good sowing. Blessed is the peacemaker. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, they shall be filled. And so there's, this is just the principle, all right? The principle is you reap what you sow. And I think it's kind of interesting that the Lord uses a kind of an agricultural term here. And I don't want to put a, you know, too much thought into this, but, but you know, when we think about reaping and sowing in the terms of planting seeds and reaping a harvest, uh, we know that you reap after you sow, right? Sometimes that reaping may come much later. And sometimes, um, you know, things aren't always immediate. And we have to remind ourselves of that. And we'll, we'll, we'll look at that a little more toward the end. Um, not only do you reap after you sow, but you reap, well, of course, you reap what you sow. That's, that's the principle. But, you, you know, you often reap more than you sow. You know, if you plant a, a, a seed, like you go out to plant corn in your garden in the spring, uh, you can put one little kernel of corn, little dried piece of corn looks like, you know, you stick that in the ground, cover it with dirt, give it some water and some time, and up comes a stalk, and on that stalk you get ears. And on that ear, there's, there's a whole rows and rows of those little kernels that you put in the ground, right? And so oftentimes you do reap more than you sow. Again, I don't want to, uh, you know, expand on that too much, but, you know, that can, that can be a blessing, that can be a, the opposite of a blessing. But you reap what you sow, you reap later than you sow. <coughs> Excuse me. And sometimes we reap more than we sow. Now, he gives a word of warning. Let's look again at verse number 7 together. It begins with these words, Be not deceived. He starts with this warning because uh, we, have a, we have a real tendency, and when I say we, I mean really all of us, we have this tendency to believe that somehow the rules don't always apply to us. 
that we can sow without the consequences. And he's just saying there, do not be deceived. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you can get away with uh, sowing to the flesh, you know, living uh, wickedly, doing sinful things and behavior, and that you're just going to get away with that. And because we reap, or yeah, because we reap often later than we sow, sometimes years later, uh, sometimes the full harvest won't be, uh, you know, recognized until eternity. We begin to deceive ourselves in thinking that you know there's no, there's no crop coming. But we need to not be deceived. We, we, the Bible talks a lot about deception. There is self-deception. Uh, it's another principle that is mentioned many, many times in the Bible. I didn't, I didn't print out the verses. Um, but in James 1, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And the reason why it's easy for us to be deceived... The Bible says in Jeremiah that the heart is deceptive. You know, we can deceive ourselves in our own hearts. That's why this idea that's often purported out there to follow your heart, sometimes that, doesn't, that leads you in the wrong area. Because our hearts can be, our hearts are deceptive. The Bible, that verse goes on to say, and desperately wicked. That's really the heart of man. There's inherent in us in this fallen world a sinful nature. And it's, <coughs> our hearts are corrupted. So first of all, we're deceived by our own hearts. We can, be dece- we can be deceived by false teachers. False information. You know, we hear a lot about that kind of stuff. Fake news, false information, you know, uh, disinformation. There's all kinds of terms they use. And, you know, that's, you mention those terms and people put them in political realms and there's this side and that side. And I'm not even going to bother getting into all that stuff. I'm just saying that uh, there is false teachers. There's religious teachers that are false teachers. There's secular teachers that are false teachers. Um, We can be deceived by false teaching. And the devil, in the word of God, is called the deceiver. So there's a lot of deception out there. And so it starts with this, this warning, be not deceived. And what what are we not to be deceived about? And that is that God is not mocked. God will not be, uh, you know, we're not going to get away. In other words, um, you know, I've said it like this one other time. That it's never going to happen where God is going to, you know, somebody will come before the Lord and, and something will be found out and God will say, well, you sneaky little devil, you. You slipped that one over on me. That will never happen. Because he sees it all. He knows it all. And his principle, this law of sowing and reaping, is inescapable. That's the point. You don't sow, you know, sometimes Christians want to sow a a, a corrupt seed and pray for a crop failure. But the harvest is coming. And so that's the warning. The warning is, you know, don't, don't think, don't deceive yourself that you're going to get away with it in the wrong way. But also, in the positive, later on, he says, uh, you know, don't be weary in well-doing, for you shall reap. That's the positive side. You know, sometimes we grow weary because we think, well, you know, I've been sowing for years and it just doesn't seem to be much happening. You know, I don't see much fruit from it. And he says, just be faithful, be patient, keep going, because you will, again, the principle is going to work, you will reap 
the blessing. We shall reap if we faint not. And so don't be weary of well-doing. So there is this principle. And I, I see it all the time at work, you know, in people's lives. Uh, I've counseled people many times that have become believers and, you know, have trusted Christ. And thankfully, as we sang several songs, as I was leading the songs, I get to kind of really pay more attention. And we should always pay attention to what we're singing. But the words of those songs, there's so much beautiful thoughts in there. But I don't remember exactly what song it was, but I saw it even because I was thinking about this thought. You know, when, we, when Jesus came into my heart, when I received Christ, thankfully, the sin, the seeds that I had sown of wickedness for years and years, now there's no condemnation. I'm not going to be condemned for it. Because Christ saves. Christ forgives. Jesus gives the forgiveness, the cleansing of sin. Redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so we can be redeemed. Now, that means that our sins are forgiven and, and we can have eternal life. And praise the Lord for that. And if you don't know you know, that salvation, if that's not something you've ever experienced or is a part of you now, uh, I want you to understand that, that that is something that God offers. He offers salvation. He offers forgiveness of sins to all who will turn and come to Him by faith. It's not, it's not and by the way, this principle of sowing and reaping is not saying that uh, if we sow enough good seed, we'll get to heaven. If we can just be good enough, that's the concept so many people have, but that's not what the Bible teaches. And the book of Galatians is very, very clear. Salvation is not by works. In other words, it's not earned by our deeds. Heaven is not the reward for a, a pretty good life. Heaven comes, salvation comes by receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior. Based on what He did, He died for our sins. He was he sacrificed, He shed His blood for our sins. He is the only one who can give eternal life. And, and eternal life only comes through Jesus Christ. So let, let's just be clear about that. But, but I've even counseled people who, uh, they've gotten saved and they have their name written in the book of life and they have eternal life, their, their sins are forgiven and, and all of that, and that's a wonderful thing, it's the most important thing, but it doesn't necessarily erase all the consequences of the sowing they've done in the past. In other words, uh, you, you've known people, uh, maybe, for example, and, I, and I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, this is just a random example, but you, know, you might know somebody who uh, for a time smoked and you know, lived that life and, and then they got saved and they quit smoking and all that, but, but they still have lung cancer. You know? I, I've seen people that uh, you know, were an alcoholic and and uh, lived a, a drunkard's life, and then they got saved. But their family was still broken, and, and it, sometimes irreparable. And they may still have you know, cirrhosis of the liver, or uh, they may have their driving privileges uh, revoked or, you know, for a time, and all of these things. So in other words, what I'm saying is, those consequences, those, that reaping of what we sow, it's, it's still in effect. There's a lot of examples of that I could think of, but 
That's the principle. Now the plantings, let's consider this for a moment in verse number 8. He that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Essentially, there's two fields you can sow in for the Christian. The flesh, we've talked much about that in weeks past, that's that corrupt nature, that's the old fallenness that we inherited from Adam and Eve. Our flesh is sinful by nature. And when we sow in that field, when we pander toward those things, the the fruit of that, the harvest of that is going to be corruption. Or, when you were saved, you received the Holy Spirit of God and He is in you, He's with you, and, and He's guiding you into all truth and you can sow things in, in, you know, to please Him and not to please the flesh. And when you do that, then there's the, the benefit of that. That's, that's what we're seeing here. When I refuse to do what is right, I sow to the flesh. When I hold a grudge, we spoke on... Thursday night, we were looking at the Lord's Prayer, and He says, you know, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And when we hold a grudge, we allow those bitternesses, we let the, uh, the, that jealousy, that envy, that, that um, you know, revenge kind of attitude in our heart, when, when we let that in there and we keep that in our heart, we sow to the flesh. And you let that root grow and it's only going to produce more and more bitterness in your life. You see people that are bitter and just, you know, resentful. And sometimes it's true that, you know, something bad or something wrong has been in their past. And if they live under that and they keep sowing to that, it it only damages them further. I'm not saying those wrongs are not wrong. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, sometimes they should be made right. But I'm saying if we hold the grudge, we're sowing to the the flesh. When I play with impure thoughts in my mind, I let let these impure thoughts roll around in my mind and and lead me into directions that that my mind shouldn't go. When we do that, we're sowing to the flesh. And you continue to do that and and you're just going to corrupt and corrupt more of your thinking. Do you understand the principle? I wrote down, when I nurture self-pity or listen proudly to the applause of men, I sow to the flesh. All of these things are just ways I I can sow to the flesh. I can just kind of dwell on those things, revel in those things. When I love laziness, and wasting time when I should be productive, I am sowing to the flesh. All the hours that we waste on social media is often a whole lot of sowing to the flesh. And what's the, the harvest? Corruption. When I fail to read what I should, and when I fail to focus on whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest. I'm sowing to the flesh. Turn for a moment to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. 
You might want to hold your finger in Galatians. How do we sow to the Spirit? Well, I just want you to understand this. If, if you're not a Christian, in other words, I'm not talking about you go to church or whatever, but I mean if you've never been born again, what does that mean? That means I've been made alive spiritually. I've, my sins are forgiven. God is at work in my life. The Holy Spirit indwells in me. A lost person really can only sow to the flesh. They only have one field to, to work in. You and I, we have a choice if you're saved. You can sow in that field because you still have the old flesh, but you can also sow in the, to the Spirit. That means we do, you know, we sow in a way that pleases Him. And I was just thinking about all that, and I was trying to think of how to illustrate that. And I don't know, these verses in Matthew chapter 5 were in my heart and mind. Um, down at verse... Seven. This is the Beatitudes, and there's, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, and they that mourn, and the meek, and so on. But I just wanted to look at a couple of them. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. When I choose to show mercy, when I act mercifully toward people, I'm sowing in the Spirit. Do you see that? When you, you know, when you have a, a, a chance to give mercy to somebody... And you act mercifully. You, 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 and when you do that, you know, uh, you're sowing to the Spirit. You're, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to make you more like Christ. Because He shows us mercy. I see that as sowing to the Spirit. Um, verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When we guard against impurity when we put not in our mind those things that are impure, but reprogram our thinking, think on things that are pure and right, we're sowing to the Spirit. We're putting seed in that field. Um, verse 9, I'll just give you this one more and we'll not go through the whole list. Blessed are the peacemakers. When I choose peace over conflict, I'm sowing to the Spirit. <coughs> Well, that's just one example. We could, we could go on with many, many examples. But when we choose to do that, we choose to act loving, and later in that chapter, you can go back to Galatians, but later in Matthew, you know, he talks about love your enemies, those that persecute you. When we follow the Scriptures, we yield to the Holy Spirit, we're sowing in that realm. And, you know, those are just little seeds sometimes. But as they continue to be planted, as we continue to, you know, he talks about in Corinthians, he says, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly, but if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Right? What does that mean? It just simply means the more seed you put out, the more harvest you're going to get back. And the more we sow in that area, the more we act like Christ, the more our dealings are in the right way, in the ways that please God, that's more seed in that field and it's going to have an effect on our life. And just like I've known Christians who have struggled in areas and sometimes it's because of some sowing in their past that they're reaping now, I've also known Christians, and probably you have as well, that you know they, they are maybe getting a little up in years and they look back at their life and they say, I don't even understand why I've been so blessed. God has blessed me and, and uh, you know, I've been thankful and, and He's just made my life a joy. And, and the reason is because they kept sowing those little seeds here and there. In the field of the Spirit. And they're seeing the fruit of it. 
They're seeing the harvest. Because God is, His principle of sowing and reaping is working. <coughs> so the principle, the planting, and the product. The product is, for those that sow in the flesh, is corruption. Those that sow in the Spirit are, is life everlasting. Now imagine a corrupt harvest. Uh, my garden, I, sometimes I go out and, and I've planted tomatoes. And before they even ripen, they get this blight or they get this something on them, scabs, you know how that happens. And they just are never any good. And you kind of lose that harvest. You know, some of them you just can't even, they're, you're not even worth picking them. Because they're corrupted. And that's the kind of fruit that comes from sowing to the flesh. Uh, it's like, I remember one year my neighbor, I used to have a cherry tree years ago, and I, I it's funny, I didn't, I've never had, I grew up in an area where the cherries weren't growing. And we moved into the house in July, and there was this tree in my yard, and I said, I don't, I don't even know what kind of tree, it looks like a fruit tree of some kind, but I don't know what it is. And the next year, it was getting cherries, and I said, I know what that tree is. It's a cherry tree. And we were like, this is really cool. We never had a cherry tree. Well, I tried to prune it the next time. And I had no idea. And my wife said, what did you do to that tree? <laughs> and it was about two years later, it died. And that was the end of my cherry tree. So that's how good of an uh, orchardist I am. I had an apple tree, and it's no longer alive either. But that was a little more of my fault. That one I chopped down, they kept wanting to grow back. And I kept cutting it down again. Anyway, but my neighbor across the street, I wish I would have asked him, because he has this amazing cherry tree. Beautiful. I mean, this thing is huge. But one year I went over and it was loaded with cherries. And he said, Tom, I said, I didn't spray it. And he said, they're all full of worms. Whole beautiful tree of cherries is full of worms. And sadly, when we sow to the flesh, Sometimes we look at our life and we say, boy, it's just full of worms. But we sow to the Spirit. We reap eternal life. And this life everlasting, of course, there's eternal life in heaven. But you know, eternal life is not only a quantity, it's a quality of life. I've always thought about, you know, when Jesus said, I've come to give life and life more abundantly. And you know, when we think about what is an abundant life? Well, abundant means like a lot of quantity, right? It's kind of what you think about. But, but we recognize in there there's a quality of life too. That abundant life is filled with the abundance of God's blessing. And, and, I, and I see that that's the fruit of this sowing to the Spirit. There's the eternal life of salvation, but there's also the abundant life of the Christian life. Hosea said this in chapter 10, and I'll close. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. Ye have plowed wickedness, ye have reaped iniquity, ye have eaten the fruit of lies, because thou didst not, thou distrust in thy way, in the multitude of thy mighty men. So the, the prophet saying, you have in the past sown wickedness. But now it's time to start sowing in righteousness and reap mercy.
And so, my, my thought to you as we close is simply this. Perhaps you say, boy, I look back and I've got a lot of seed in that field of the flesh. And I know there's going to come a harvest time. And sometime, some of you might say, I'm, I'm reaping it now. But again, you can come to the Lord, sins forgiven, eternal life given, and you can begin to sow in the Spirit. And if you're saved and maybe you've been in the wrong field, it's time to just let's switch fields. Because there's a harvest of blessing. There's an abundant life God has. It doesn't mean that we won't never, you know, we never get sick or have any problems. But it means the blessing of God is on our life. What field are you sowing in? Let's stand together.